I want to welcome you this morning to Central, where we seek transformation through the renewing work of the Lord Jesus Christ. We've been studying the book of Hebrews together this summer, and this book, as we've discussed before, is a little more like a sermon letter. There was a, a pastor, we're not exactly sure who he is, this pastor wrote a, a sermon down to a group of Christians who have a Jewish background, thus the name Hebrews, and they live in Rome. And this group of Christians were struggling. They were thinking of turning back to their old faith of Judaism because it was challenging. It was challenging for them in their day to live by faith and not by sight. Maybe it's hard for you and for me too. It was hard to live according to what they could see with their spiritual eyes. That Jesus had been raised from the dead, that he was reigning over all because when they looked with their earthly eyes, all they saw was trouble. They saw challenge. They saw the difficulty of living for Jesus in their culture. And the pastor said, don't give up on him now. Don't turn back. Look with eyes of faith and know that you have an advocate in heaven, one who faithfully loves you and he'll never fail you. He'll never give up on you. And so today we get to chapter 8 in this book of Hebrews, and the pastor reminds these Jewish background Christians the whole of the Old Testament, the Bible they had at the time, all of it points to Jesus. All of those ceremonies and sacrifices, all the covenants, all the promises, they all lead to Jesus. Now, the first five verses of chapter 8 go deeper into Jesus as a priest and uh, further how Jesus fulfills the temple and the sacrifice and why and how Jesus cleanses us. And chapters 9 and 10 explain in detail how that, how that is so. We're going to cover those, those truths in the next few weeks when we study chapters 9 and 10. But this morning, we're going to focus in our limited time on verses 6 through 13. As, he, as the pastor writes about the better covenant. What makes the promises that come to us in Jesus better? And the short answer is this. These promises come with the power to transform you from the inside out. Jesus really can change your life. Are there things about your life that you recognize are wrong and you wish were different? Are there sins that, that have, have plagued you and you want to see changed? Are there habits that you wish were broken in your life? Are, are there desires in you that you want to see reoriented? Are there hopes that you want to see reborn in your life? If you want to change, if you want to be different, then come to Jesus because he has the power to make you new. So let's pray as we turn our minds and our hearts to Hebrews chapter 8. Lord, we come to you this morning and offer to you our minds and our hearts and ask that we would see and behold Jesus here in these words. Lord, we ask that you would speak to us and that you would begin that work of change in our lives. Transform us by your word. And Lord, we ask that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts would be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. We ask all this in the strong name of Jesus, our Lord. Amen. Hebrews chapter 8, beginning in verse 1. <clears throat> now, the point in what we are saying is this. We have such a high priest, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven, a minister in the holy places, 
in the true tent that the Lord set up, not man. For every high priest is appointed to offer gifts and sacrifices. Thus it is necessary for this priest also to have something to offer. Now if he were on earth, that's Jesus, he would not be a priest at all, since there are priests to offer with gifts according to the law. They serve a copy and a shadow of the heavenly things. For when Moses was about to erect the tent, he was instructed by God, saying, See that you make everything according to the pattern that was shown you on the mountain. But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is as much more excellent than the old, as the covenant he mediates is better, since it is enacted on better promises. For if that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion to look for a second. For he finds fault with them when he says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will establish a new covenant with the house of Judah and with the house house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not like the covenant I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. For they did not continue in my covenant, so I showed no concern for them, declares the Lord." For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, declares the Lord, I will put my laws into their minds and write them on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And they shall not teach each each one his neighbor and each one his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest." For I will be merciful toward their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. In speaking of a new covenant, he makes the first one obsolete. And what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. If you've ever traveled across the south, especially on the interstates, you've seen signs for Rock City. Ever seen signs for Rock City? The signs are painted on tops of barns, on sides of barns, on doors, on billboards, on sides of trucks, on 18-wheelers that are parked in fields on the sides of the road, pretty much on any flat surface that you can find slung all across the southeast, you will see signs that say, See Rock City. Now, Rock City is an extravaganza of a place. It sits on top of Lookout Mountain and it's near Chattanooga, and it essentially is a theme park made from rocks and caves. Now, you stroll along these beautiful garden trails on the, on the side of Lookout Mountain, and at one point you come to an overlook, and you can see seven states from this overlook. It's It's amazing. And you come to another spot and you enter this magic of fairyland caverns and you go inside these caves and there are dioramas of different scenes from Disney films. And you see Snow White and the seven dwarves and they're they're painted in -in glow-in-the-dark paint and it's, it's, it's amazing. And there's much, much more in Rock City. And as a kid, Rock City's incredible. It's almost a rite of passage for a kid growing up in the southeast. Now, for the adults, it can tend to be a little bit creepy going in these, in these caves, but for kids, it, it's amazing. Now, the point of me telling you about Rock City is no one is going to confuse Rock City signs 
for actually visiting the place. Nobody's going to come along the sign on the, on the side of a barn, on the side of the highway as a pointer, as, as spectacular as, as those signs are. I mean, the signs are famous in their own right. They're, you can buy little birdhouses with Sea Rock City painted on them. The, their signs are so famous, I'm talking about them in a sermon this morning. But nobody's going to confuse stopping beside a barn and having your picture taken with that Sea Rock City sign Nobody's going to confuse that for standing on the edge of Loversley Overlook and seeing far enough that you can see seven states. They're just not the same. They're qualitatively different. One of them is a sign. It's, it's a pointer. And the other thing is an incredible blessing. It's a, de- it's a destination. It's, it's almost overwhelming to see the beauty of that place. The pastor here in this passage is saying something similar. Don't confuse the signs, don't confuse the pointers with the beauty of having Jesus himself. Don't confuse something that's gonna point you to Jesus even though they're spectacular, don't confuse all those covenants, all the, all the ceremonies, all the sacrifices. Don't confuse all those amazing signs with the amazing reality of having Jesus, the Lamb of God himself. They're not the same thing. Don't get confused. One is a blessing. One is, one is beauty. One will change your life. And one's just a pointer. Don't get confused. Look at verse 6 where the pastor says, Christ has obtained a ministry that is as much more excellent than the old as the covenant he mediates is better since it is enacted on better promises. In other words, the covenant, the promises that were given through Moses simply point forward. They're signs, they're pointers, and they're not as fulfilling as these new covenant promises which come to us in Jesus. All the laws, all the, the commands, the sacrifices are there to demonstrate to you, you can't do it. You can't keep the law, all those perfect commands of God. They're like signposts. They're like rock city signs painted on the side of the barn, pointing you to where true hope can be found, pointing you to the, to the true destination that in Jesus and the Lamb of God who was slain for you to bring you life, to bring you eternal life, eternal salvation. Don't get confused and settle for a sign when God has offered you the real thing. Verse 7, for if that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion to look for a second. Now, make no mistake, the fault wasn't with God's law. The fault's with us. The fault's with human beings and our inability to keep God's law. We can't keep a law covenant. We need a new covenant that's fulfilled in Jesus, the one who did fulfill the law. The one who was able to perfectly keep every command of God and give us his record of righteousness and who would pay the penalty and the judgment for all of our disobedience to God's law. We can't do it on our own. You see, we need not only the sign to point us away from ourselves, but we also need the fulfillment in Jesus. The law points us to the truth that we aren't able to do it. It points us away and we find our ultimate hope in Jesus who's done it all for us. He is our Savior and the new covenant promises lead us to life found in Him. It's the only place 
to find life outside of ourselves in Jesus. So then if you look at verse 8, you find a quotation that begins, it comes from Jeremiah 31, describing this new covenant which characterizes the kind of life that we have in Christ. What is this new life that Jesus has won for us, that he's, he's given to us? What is this new covenant reality? What are these better promises that we inherit from Jesus? We have three points coming to us from this new covenant that we get from Jesus. What are they this morning? The first is this. In the new covenant, God promises reconciliation. He promises to us, and we can live in it right now. In the new covenant, God promises us reconciliation. Look at verse 8. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will establish a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Now, we've talked about the language of covenant before. In the Bible, a covenant is more than sometimes we think of covenant in English as a contract. It's not exactly the same thing. A covenant is a far more intimate thing than merely a contract. A covenant involves a committed, intimate relationship that, like a contract, has obligations, but there's more to it. A covenant is, is a contract that has committed, intimate relationships that involve sticking to it through thick or thin. As we talked about a couple of weeks ago, covenants were sealed with blood. They were promises of life and death, and here God is making that kind of promise to His people. God is making a promise to Israel and Judah, and it's extending, uniting Israel and Judah. And when God's people would have read that in Jeremiah's day, it would have been like a megaphone shout. If they they had highlighters in that day, everyone would have highlighted that little part in their Hebrew Bible. Israel and Judah, you're kidding me. Because Israel and Judah were at war with each other when Jeremiah said this. Remember the kingdom of God had been established and Saul was the first king and then David followed him and Solomon after, after them. And after Solomon, the kingdom split. It split into two, to Israel and Judah. And they had different kings, they had different temples, they worshiped in different places, everything was separate and they had been at war with each other for 300 years. They hated each other. They fought with each other all the time. They were sworn enemies, and they had been so for 300 years by the time Jeremiah started writing this. But here he's he's writing what God has promised. God is saying, I'm making a new covenant. I'm making a new promise that I am binding myself and binding Israel and Judah together. We are making a new covenant promise where I'm able to reconcile through the Redeemer I'm promising. I have power through this gospel to pledge myself to all of my people and unite my people who have been in hostility and hating one another. We are coming back together. And there's a bond in blood to bind these people who have been sworn enemies that's going to bind them back together. It's the blood of the Redeemer who's going to do this. Now, on this side of the cross, this side of, this side of the New Testament, we know that that Redeemer who, in whose blood that covenant is held, it's in Jesus' blood. 
that God's people are bound together. It's in Jesus' blood that people who have been enemies can be bound together in the same family of God. It's Jesus' blood that in the New Testament side we see it, Jews and Gentiles are brought together. It's in Jesus' blood that all the nations of the world are brought together in the family of God. It's in Jesus' blood that rich and poor are brought together side by side in the family of God. It's in Jesus' blood that black and Asian and white and Hispanic are brought side by side in the family of God. It's Jesus' blood that brings us together. And it's only Jesus' blood that brings us together in a world that would like to separate us. Jesus brings us together. It's a bond in blood that God himself has established. It's his promise. Think about all the ways that we are separated in our world, ways that uh, walls that go up that separate us, the differences between us that keep us apart. But in Jesus, we can be together. We can come together because God has made a promise. Think about city and county, just simple divides. We can come together. We can be in the same family of God, can't we? Or think about Mizzou and KU. Well, you might, that may be a step too far. I don't know. But families that are torn apart by politics, in Christ we can come together. Jesus' blood is big enough for that, right? New covenant, the binding promise of God through our Redeemer Jesus draws us to himself and it binds us to one another across all kinds of differences because God has sworn it. God himself made this promise. And it's that promise of that God who reconciles, that's what's going to strengthen you and me in our church family when we get disappointed with each other. It's no secret that church has been hard the past few years, is it? There have been all kinds of things that have separated us, that have been hard. Think politics, race, the pandemic. They're things that have been wedge issues that have separated us from each other and have caused us to be disappointed with each other. But it's this new covenant promise that God himself has sworn a covenant to bind us together in the blood of the Redeemer. That's what's going to enable you and me to say, you know, this church has flaws, and I can see them. And I'm not going to pretend about it. The people here have flaws, me included. But I'm committed here because God is doing a work in me, and God is doing a work in these people, and He's binding us together. So I'm here. Even when we aren't exactly what we should be, I'm here because Jesus is doing something. I'm here even when we aren't what we shall be one day because Jesus is doing a work here because God has bound us together according to his promise. That's what God does. He puts flawed people together who are divided in all kinds of ways. He binds us together by the blood of the Redeemer and he makes us family. It's important for us to be able to say the people in this church have flaws, me included. It's really important for us to be able to occupy that posture. You know, you'll never 
find a perfect church. And if you do find a perfect church, you probably shouldn't join it because you're going to mess it up, you know? (laughs) There aren't any perfect people either. It's the blood of the Redeemer that enables us to be bound together with other imperfect people because our God is at work taking imperfect people, binding us together because of the blood of Jesus and doing something beautiful with all of us joined together. That's what God does, and he's sworn it by promise, by covenant, that he's at work here. He reconciles all kinds of people who would otherwise have reason to be at enmity with each other. He can do it. Now, you might say, fat chance in a world like this. In a world like ours that increasingly is polarized, where our world operates in a space where it says, if you don't agree with me about 100% of the things, 100% of the time, we're probably not going to have a real relationship. That's the wedge that our world is doing. It's fracturing us more and more and more into smaller and smaller and smaller affinity groups. If you don't agree with me about 100% of the things, 100% of the time, we're not going to have, an, we're not going to have a real relationship. But Jesus says No. I'm the one who binds people across differences. I bind you together because I'm a reconciler. I bind people together who have hated each other. I bind people who have been sworn enemies because my blood is enough to cover the sins of all kinds of people and my blood is enough to bring people together. In a world that says that kind of reconciliation is a pipe dream, Jesus says, I've sworn that I have the power to do it. And that's why this next part of the New Covenant promise is so important for us to lean into that. Not only has God promised that in the New Covenant he reconciles, but in the New Covenant God also promises that he enables. When we don't have the want to, God promises that he's able to give it. He enables us, he strengthens us, he motivates us when we don't have it within us to do it. That's a difference with the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. The Old Covenant, is he talking about the laws on the outside? The commandments were written on those tablets of stone and put in the, in the Ark of the Covenant, remember. The holiness they talked about was about the, the holiness in the temple and the holy of holies and the big thick curtain that tell people to keep out. They could try to obey the commands of God and it wouldn't work, Remember? But in the New Covenant, the promise is something amazing, something that fills us with hope. Look at verse 10. God said, I will put my laws into their minds and write them on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Verse 11, they shall not teach each one his neighbor or brother, saying, know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest. These promises are beautiful, and they're yours right now. Since Jesus came and was crucified for all of our sin, judged in our place, raised from the dead in victory, ascended to the throne, now he sent the Holy Spirit to us. And by the Spirit's power, the life of Jesus is now inside of us. The law of God is not just written on tablets of stone out there, but the Spirit of God has written the law on our hearts inside here. It's a fundamental difference in this new covenant. The Spirit of God is able to give the life of Jesus inside of you, to write it upon your heart, to give want to obey inside of you. 
because Jesus is growing in us, transforming us inside out. I want you to listen very carefully to me. When you don't want to, what this is saying is the Spirit of God can grow his want to inside of you. The power of God is able to grow his want to obey into you even when you don't want to. Isn't that incredible? That's fundamentally different from from the old covenant to now. God is able to put something inside of you to enable you to want to obey. We see it in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 to 10. Famous verses. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. We all know those verses. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We've been created, enabled to do good work by the Spirit's power. He gives you a new want to obey. He gives you a new desire. He enables you. He strengthens you on the inside to want to obey, to want to follow after the law of God. And his motivation takes root in your heart too. Look at verse 11. All shall know me from the least to the greatest. To know in the Bible is something more than just cognitive. It's more than just the facts. To know in the Bible is something that's more intimate. It's it's emotional. It's close. It's something that involves passion. To know means to love with understanding. And so this new covenant that's taking shape in our hearts is it's not just on the outside, but on the inside, that transforming power of God is taking root on the inside where you now have the love of God and love for God planted inside your heart. And that love for God enables and motivates us to obey the Lord from the heart. And that's fundamentally different from before. The Lord does that for you. He does it in you. He will enable you and strengthen you when you don't have want to ask the Lord to give it to you. When you are tempted and you're, Lord, I'm really tempted by this sin, ask the Lord, God, help me to follow you and the Holy Spirit will. He will help. Listen, there may be times in your life when you feel like you're just gritting out some fighting of sin or some habit in your life and you felt all alone and you're losing. You keep giving in to this sin over and over and you're just fighting and you feel like, I feel like I'm all by myself and I keep losing, I keep repeating this sin again and again. I want you to know from these scriptures is the spirit of God is there to transform you and enable you to motivate you for obedience. He's there. Now, that does not mean that that journey of sanctification, the way the Bible, the language of the Bible for growth in holiness, growth to to be more like Jesus, that doesn't mean it's easy. Nor does it mean it's without effort. It's hard. But what it does mean is that you're not on your own. You're not in this by yourself. The spirit of the living God is inside you to help you. So are you weary? Ask God to help. 
Are you tired of those old ruts in your heart? Are you tired of following and falling into those same old sins and you wish you didn't love them? You wish you didn't keep doing them. Ask the Spirit for help. Do you want to be different? Ask the Lord supernaturally to do that work of change in your life because Jesus can change you. He writes the law. He writes his truth on your heart and he can change you from the inside out. And finally, the new covenant, in the new covenant, God promises that he forgets. Look at verse 12. For I will be merciful toward their iniquities and I will remember their sins no more. Now the truth is that this isn't new. God's always said that he's merciful toward his people. So what's new about this part of the new covenant? Well, this. God's people were constantly offering sacrifices because there wasn't a perfect sacrifice to be made and because the priests were sinners. So there wasn't a perfect sacrifice and there wasn't a perfect priest to offer a sacrifice, right? But now, our sins will be forgotten completely, remembered no more, because there is a perfect sacrifice, the Lamb of God, the spotless, sinless Lamb of God, Jesus, who gave himself on the cross for our sin. He was the perfect sacrifice, and he was also the perfect priest. The sinless priest has offered the perfect sacrifice of himself. And so the blood of Jesus has completely covered all of our guilt and all of our sin so that God remembers it no more. It's fully and finally been done away with. It's been, it's been cast away forever and, and fully because the perfect high priest has perfectly offered himself in our place. And God remembers our sin no more. And so as his people, let's take God's side and trust that our sins are forgotten. Sometimes we do a wonderful job of forgetting our sins and remembering everybody else's. You know what I mean? Sometimes we love to give little remembers to other people. I remember what you did. And we use it to shame them or control them. We, we might bring it up a year or two later. I can't trust you because of, I remember what you did. I'm gonna hold it over your head. We might say we've forgiven them, but we hold it over their head. Let's take the side of our living Lord who has forgiven and remembers our sin no more. Now, this does not mean that we forget abusive and harmful behavior. Please don't, don't think that I'm saying that. But rather, when we forgive someone, we turn them, turn their case over to the Lord and we revoke revenge. Let's do the same thing with one another. Let's not hold other people's sins over their head and try to control them or shame them and hang on to it so that I can, I can get a pound, a pound of flesh out of it later. Remember one another's sins no more and walk in Christ-likeness. But other times, we have an excruciatingly hard time remembering our sins no more. And instead, we take the side of our accuser. We take the side of the devil who... Sometimes, maybe he just does this to me, but sometimes the devil will wake me up in the middle of the night and dangle the things I've done in front of my face. Ever do that to you too? 
all the ways that you've violated, all the things that you've done that, that have sinned against the Lord. But the Lord says he's cast our sins into the depths of the sea. But at least in my case, sometimes it seems like the devil goes fishing. And he brings them out and he shows them to me. Reminds me of all the things I've done. Are you sure that God would love somebody like you? Remember when you did this? Are you sure? Let's not go fishing where the Lord has forgotten our sin. Let's take refuge in the cross. Let's not go fishing where the Lord has cast our sin so that we repeat them and our slavery to those sins that the Lord has forgiven. Nor let's not go fishing so we feel condemned by what the Lord's already forgiven. The Lord Jesus has completely covered all of our guilt and all of our sin and his giving his life on the cross. He's been raised from the dead in victory over them. And the Lord is so merciful that he remembers them no more. It's God's promise. He's sworn it in a covenant. I'll close with this. On Easter, I told a story about leading a man in the county jail to Christ. And it was this, it was the new covenant that really blew him away, what I shared with him that day. And it was this part in particular, that the God who made him and took on flesh and went to the cross to save him, now sent the Spirit to live inside of him, it, it, to make him different. That just completely blew his mind. He told me that day that he was afraid that when he got out of jail, that he'd go right back to being that same guy doing the same stuff that landed him in jail to start with. I said, maybe, but there's something different about you now. And I put my hand on his chest, and I said, the living Lord lives in there. And that's fundamentally different. And he looked at me, he got big eyes, and I can't, I can't repeat in church what he said. <laughs> but it was like, you have got to be kidding me. God lives in here. That's exactly right. The living Lord lives in there and he can reconcile you to people he can reconcile broken relationships that living lord can enable you to be different you don't have to be that same person anymore that living lord can change you and that living lord can silence the voice of the accuser because he remembers your sin no more jesus's blood has covered it all it's true for him. It's true for you here today too. You want to walk with that God who can make you new? He's pledged with his own life that he can change you from the inside out forever. Let's trust that Jesus today. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful today that we have a living Jesus who has pledged with his life that he can make us new. We ask that you would help us to walk with him today. For anyone here who doesn't know that Jesus today, would you move in their hearts to trust Jesus as their Lord and their Savior today? Would you take residence in their heart as their Savior and their Lord, regenerate them, give them a new heart, and begin that process of making them new? Give us the joy of walking with them as a church family and seeing you work. For all of us here today, Lord, revive us again, that we might see and sense you alive and at work at Central Presbyterian Church. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.